0: The scripture reading is from Psalm 139. Please stand for the reading of God's word. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand, I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I encourage you to have your Bible open. We're looking at Psalm 139. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, that is on page 521. Now, I don't generally like sermon titles, um, not that I'm like, morally opposed to sermon titles, I just don't like having to come up with sermon titles. Um, if you ask anyone who's ever served as uh, an admin in our office, they will, they will tell you, they've heard me say on more than one occasion when they ask me the question, Mark, what's your title? Uh, half-jokingly, I say Mark's Next Sermon. Just write it in. But this title, actually, for this sermon, I like. It's one of like a handful over 14 years. I would say, hey, I kind of like that one. And the reason why is because this, this title, Tucked In, really does capture, I think, how this psalm is meant to make us feel if we are followers of Christ. Tucked in. Do you remember being tucked in? Right? Remember that feeling? Oh, just thinking about it. It's like, yes, I remember that. I remember, you know, having a a parent, as I'm laying there in bed, just kind of tuck the blankets in all around, like head, shoulders, all the way down around your body. Blankets are tucked in, and, you know, they've maybe read a story and prayed over you and given you a kiss on your forehead and said goodnight. And that is such a good feeling, being tucked in. I know some of you did not have that experience growing up, and I'm so sorry Uh, But you can imagine how that would feel. And we're all meant to imagine how that feels when it comes to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. No parent, parents like God. Parents, His children. He cares for His children better than any parent ever could or would. His love is unfailing. So too is His strength. With Him, we feel loved And we feel safe. In other words, tucked in. Is that how you feel as we enter 2022? (laughs) Tucked in. We're meant to. David tells us four truths about God in Psalm 139. And in these truths, Scripture is inviting us to find comfort. To know that we are tucked in when it comes to God's care of us. So four truths I want us to see from which we're invited to find comfort. The first is God's complete knowledge. Find comfort in God's complete knowledge. Second, find comfort in God's inescapable presence. Comfort in God's inescapable presence. Third, find comfort in God's creative power. Comfort in God's creative power. And then fourth, we're called in this psalm to find comfort in God's perfect justice. So four things in which to find comfort is God's complete knowledge, inescapable presence, creative power, and perfect justice. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would be with us by your spirit. Lord, you've, you've kept this psalm for us in Scripture. You've uh, given us your spirit to understand scripture and take it to heart, and we pray that you would work by your spirit through your word to accomplish that purpose in the lives of all who are present here this morning and and listening online, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So first, the comfort of God's complete knowledge. Now, when you look at verses 1 through 6, I mean, when you look at the whole psalm, but just looking at verses 1 through 6 now, you realize that this is a deeply theological psalm. David is hitting on truths about God that are that are so grand and so true. All the omnis are are present here right god 's omniscience, the fact that he 's all knowing god 's omnipresence, the fact that he 's everywhere present god 's omnipotence when it comes to his creative power as we 'll see in just a moment. Verses 1 through 6 especially touch on the doctrine of God's omniscience, the fact that God is all-knowing. But this isn't theology for theology's sake. This isn't dry doctrine. David has taking, had taken these truths about God and drilled them down into his heart through meditation on these truths. He has internalized the fact that God is all-knowing. And you see that right from the very beginning, verse 1, "O Lord, you have searched me and known me." And then he goes on to talk about these great truths concerning God's omniscience, his all-knowingness, not just in general, but concerning David. Now, how can we even begin to think about God's omniscience? You know, look at verse 6. We have to agree with David. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So, no, we cannot get our heads completely around what it means for God to be omniscient. So, the example, the you know, illustration I'm about to give you now is helpful only so far as it goes, which is the limits of we as creatures trying to get our, our heads around what it means for God to be God. And creator. But still, think about time as a river and yourself sitting alongside the bank of the river. And this river has lots of bends and lots of boats, but you can only see the boats that are right in front of you. You can't see all the way back. You can't see all the way ahead. You can't see the entire river. You can only see what's right in front of you. There are boats that have gone past, you don't see them anymore. That's That's the past. There are boats that are coming. You can't see them coming. That's the future. You can't see the whole river. Now imagine that you're lifted up and you're high on a mountain, and in some way you can see the entire river. In that moment, all of the boats would be present to you. You would see the whole river. You would have knowledge of past, present, and future, if you will. Again, very quickly, this breaks down. Because we're trying to get our heads around what it means for God to know all things. And yet, it does help us recognize that in the same way that every boat is present to the one who is on the mountain, so too every moment in time is present to God. And not just every activity in every moment, but the thoughts and intentions of every person in every moment throughout history. We say, I didn't see that coming. God never says that. There's never a moment in which God says, I never saw that coming. He knows all at once. The end from the beginning. And David has internalized that truth. You see it in three ways. Three things that he says in verse 2 and verse 3. Second half of verse 2 You discern my thoughts from afar. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. David says, "Your, your, your knowledge, O God, concerning me is complete concerning my thoughts, my ways, and my words. Now, what comfort should that bring you if you are a Christian? It's this, there's nothing about you that God doesn't know. There's nothing. Nothing from your past. Nothing from your future, nothing in this present moment that God is not aware of. You think about all these things that you feel like are wrong with me, things I've done in the past that affect who I am now, things that I'm likely to do in the future, given the kind of person that I am now. What 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 will change me? Who will change me? Who will help me? Well, imagine you're sick. You want to go to a doctor who's an expert in the field. You want to know that, you know, she or he is able to get down to the bottom of what's wrong with you, to really understand it from a base level, not just be able to recognize the symptoms, but understand what's causing your illness and know the cure to bring. That's who God is. He knows completely <laughs> What's wrong with you? And what's wrong with me? He knows the remedy. Better than we do, he can be trusted. Given all that he knows about you, which is way more than you know about yourself, he still sent his son to die for you. His all knowingness is not something to be feared is something in which you can find comfort. What if you're not a Christian, however? What do you do with this truth as we have it in scripture? The author of Hebrews echoes this truth when he says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of whom to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Is that terrifying to you? I mean, it really should be if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer put it like this, that God knows each person through and through can be a cause of shaking fear to the man that has something to hide. How much of your life have you spent, and are you continuing to spend trying to hide something? that you know is true, recognize that the one person before him, before him, it matters that you come clean already knows. Even that fact can be a comfort to you and not something that strikes terror in you. If you will turn to him and acknowledge it, if you will confess it, if you will bring it out into the open, because God knows God knows. Find comfort in God's complete knowledge. Secondly, David invites us to find comfort in God's inescapable presence. So verses 7 through 12, let me read them. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me, be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, for night is bright as the day. For darkness is as light to you. This is talking about God's omnipresence. If God's omniscience means that God is that the every moment is fully present to God, God's omnipresence means that God is fully present in every moment. Don't think of God as if He were, you know, a gas that's dispersed throughout time and space god is fully present in every moment david in verse 7 writes where shall i flee from your presence that hebrew word presence is the word face god is always turned to all people at all times fully present that, too, is meant to bring comfort. David drives this home in verse 8. Verse 8, again, he says, If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I go to the, the highest of heights, if I make my bed in the, the place of the dead, Sheol, the lowest of lows. Verses 9 through 10, The wings of the morning, that's to the east where the sun rises. The sea, the Mediterranean Sea, was to the west of where David would have been. From the east to the west, you are Present. Verses 11 and 12, even the darkness will not hide. That is meant to be a comfort for the follower of Christ. What about those who aren't following Christ? Know that you cannot hide. You cannot hide. Listen, the Apostle John in Revelation 6 16 prophesies what the end will be for those who have died without Christ. When that judgment day comes, what it is that they will cry out. And it's this they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. You cannot hide now and for eternity. You need not hide. You need not hide. Are you running now from what you know to be true? Stop running. Stop trying to hide from the one who sees all and offers the the blood of his son to make atonement for the sin that is in your heart. Stop running. If you are a Christian, again, God's presence is meant to be comforting. David says back up in verse 5, You hem me in behind and before. There's the tucked in. Right? You think about a parent, maybe you, as a, as a parent when your children were young. You would, you would go in, and before you went to bed, you would check in and see how they were doing. Right? Make sure your child was asleep, doing okay. God is ever present toward his children. He's ever checking to make sure, if you will, that you are okay. His presence is meant to bring us comfort. Think about all the Psalms, about God as a rock, as a refuge, as a strong tower. This all points to the same thing, that God is present with his people, ready to come to their aid. David invites us to find comfort in God's complete knowledge, to find comfort in God's inescapable presence. And then third, to find comfort in God's creative power. You see this in verses 13 through 18. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it full well. We can go on and read, but... The Westminster Shorter Catechism for Kids begins with the question, who made you? And the answer is wonderfully brief and to the point, God. Who made you? God. That's the answer that David is spending, verses 13 through 15, meditating on. God, God's power, his creative power is, is marvelous. And David is meditating on that. Verse 14, again, he says, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. There are 60,000 miles of blood vessels inside the average human body. That would circumnavigate the earth two and a half times. Fearfully and wonderfully made. The human eye is so sensitive that if the earth were flat, and it's not, but if the earth were flat, (laughs) it could spot a candle flickering at night from up to 30 miles. Right? If it's night, Candle flickering, 30 miles. That's halfway to Buffalo. If the human brain <clears throat> were a computer, it could perform 38,000 trillion operations per second. That is, you know, the, the, the most powerful supercomputer can only manage a fraction of that. In one day, your blood travels 12,000 miles around your body. That's back and forth across the United States twice. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's comfort in remembering that, that we're made, that we're creatures. We're creatures. There's so much pressure in our culture right now for you to be your own creator for you to be God in your life, to create your own meaning and your own identity. One of the tragic consequences of the metaverse will be that when your life is almost entirely found online, you will lose yourself behind the very avatar that you have created to reflect who you are. The biblical picture is that we are creatures fearfully and wonderfully, amazingly made, knit together, but creatures, nonetheless, our meaning and our identity is found in relation to our creator. But the Bible goes on to say, we're not mere creatures. We learn so much from science. Everything that I just Unpacked, we don't know apart from God's gift of scientific inquiry and knowledge. In that sense, science informs our worship of God. It helps us to better know the wonder of this God who has created us. But if science stops at the point of saying we're mere creatures, then it's erred. The Bible tells us that we are More than mere creatures. David in Psalm 8 says that God made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. Point being this. When you feel worthless, like life is meaningless and your life has no value, no matter what the world would say to you or about you or demand of you, you are a priceless treasure in the sight of God. It was over humanity that God declared very good. It is very good. We experience profound brokenness in our in our lives, in our bodies, in this world because of the entrance of sin into the world. But our brokenness does not in any way diminish our value and our worth before our Creator God And David invites us, in marveling over God's creative power, to find comfort there. Psalm 139 invites us to find comfort in God's complete knowledge, his inescapable presence, his creative power, and then third, in his perfect justice. Now look at verses 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Now, just pause for a second and think about this. Most of us in this room have not experienced the kind of pain inflicted upon us at the hands of others that would lead us to pray a prayer like this. Some of you have, but not all of us. We can picture ourselves as believers in places like North Korea, where there's great persecution and oppression, where people are being killed, imprisoned for their faith. And we can imagine praying a prayer like this. But could you? Because look again at this prayer. David prays, O that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O God? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Do you see how different this prayer is from the prayers that that we would pray? Whether the injustice toward us is, is great or whether the injustice toward us is really you know, minimal. That person cut me off. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Right? But so often we make ourselves the the, the object of the injustice. And humanly speaking, People are objects of injustice. But in the same way that David would pray in Psalm 51 against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so too David here in Psalm 139 recognizes that ultimately the problem that these wicked people have is with God. That actually enables them to find comfort. Because the judge of all the earth will do what is just. Abraham asked that question when, um, of God, actually, when um, God was about to bring judgment on Sodom in Genesis 18. And Abraham is concerned, will, will any righteous be lost in Sodom amongst all the wicked when your judgment comes? And he asked the question of God, will not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the answer is, the rest of scripture unpacks, is yes, he will. And that confidence is found here in David's prayer, which is ultimately a prayer for justice. Praying this prayer, entrusting judgment to God, is what enables a person who has been violated, who has been sinned grievously against, to be able to say, I can trust and find comfort ultimately in God's perfect justice. His timing will be right, and it will be fair. David invites us to find comfort in God's complete knowledge, inescapable presence, creative power, and in his perfect justice. What if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ? When you think about the fact that our sin, all of our sin, is ultimately against God, And when you think about the fact that you have not lived up even to your own standards, let alone the standards of Scripture, what do you do with that? Again, the testimony of Scripture is that that judgment has fallen upon Jesus Christ in the place of all who would look to him and receive the forgiveness and the mercy that God offers. Judgment day is past if you are a follower of Jesus Christ if you put your trust in him for your salvation, if you have not yet done that, you can know that that judgment that is coming for the wicked is a judgment that for you is past. God's perfect and complete knowledge, his inescapable presence, creative power, and perfect justice. This psalm invites all people through faith in Jesus Christ into that comfort. Where do you start when it comes to applying this? And the answer is found where David ends. Look at the end of Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You realize that that prayer has no legs if we don't know that everything that David has said in verses 1 through 22 is true. If David is praying to this God who can't be known in any way and doesn't ultimately have complete knowledge, if David is praying to this God who is distant and has not revealed himself in any way and is not, in fact, present with us by his Spirit, if none of these things are true concerning God, then that Prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart is like trying to grab hold of the wind. And yet, because of who God is and who He has revealed Himself to be to us, not just in Scripture, but ultimately in His Son, Jesus Christ, we find a God who is present, a God who knows, a God who bore God's judgment. And will at just the right time return to bring God's judgment for those who are not found in Christ? A God who has come in Christ to tuck us in, to give us that sense of safety and confidence and peace no matter what may come. I know it's a cliche to say we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. You know, it's one of those things you see on a coffee mug and maybe see on a poster or painting. But, hey, it's true. (laughs) We need to take it to heart. Psalm 139 is that, you know, little saying, blown up, given full weight, full meaning, full depth because of who God is. And so we can pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting, knowing that this is a God who knows, who's with us by his spirit, who will bring justice at just the right time, and whose power is great. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to meditate on these truths. Lord, as David has done throughout this psalm, reflected on the reality of who you are, made connections between these great theological truths in his daily life. Lord, help us by your spirit to do the same. And Lord, especially as we think about this prayer at the end, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh God, would you help us pray that prayer knowing that you are a God who knows, who loves, who cares, and who will watch over us every day. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.